You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Hey, it is great to have you here in church today. Here's what I want everybody to do. I want everyone to take just a deep breath. Breathe in. Let that thing out. It is good. One of the neat things about being in church is that we put our focus back on the Lord. And life just keeps our focus on us. Typically throughout the day, throughout our week, throughout the stresses of life, you and I, we just gather stress. We just pick it up. We take it all the way around us. And today in this Transform series, we're going to talk about your physical health. And you might not have had such an experience like Lori just did up there on the screen, but today we're going to talk about stress because in our culture, we all carry stress and stress affects all of us. It affects all of our health. And if you have your Bible today, open with me to Psalm chapter 23, and you can just kind of bookmark that. You can pull it out on your mobile device, on your iPad, your iPhone, your, your Samsung smartphone, whatever you got, but pull your Bible out, and we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. Whenever your body or my body, whenever we are threatened by something that's emotional or physical or spiritual or mental, when we experience a threat, our body responds in a lot of physiological ways. Your blood pressure goes up, your pulse is going to quicken right there in your arm, your adrenaline shoots into your bodies, and you've got all these different physiological things that go on your body. And, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. If you get an emergency situation, you need all that. If you play sports, that adrenaline rush is going to help you actually escalate your ability to respond quickly and play in the game. Some of you are athletes, and you don't play well till you get mad because you need that extra hit you know, for you to all of a sudden get you know, pumped up enough to start playing at your best level because that adrenaline surge happens, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. But you and I carry a lot of stress in our lives. Uh, if you go racing... Um, those little gas-powered go-karts. Any of you ever done that? Raise those around. Okay, my wife signed us up. We went and we went on a, like a Tuesday afternoon, and we went and we went racing golf carts. We were like the only people in the place. And so we go over to West Sac, and we're at this place. It's all indoor, and you get these little gas-powered things. I've got the GoPro up on the helmet, and I'm, you know, recording it. And the first time you kind of go your first race, you're just figuring out, like, how does this work? Can these cars drift? The answer is yes, all the time. They can drift very well. And, you know, and how fast can they go? And can I actually do this? And while you're doing that, your adrenaline's rising. And then they make you take a little break. And then we took our second race, because it was a two-race deal. We took our second race, and it was all bets are off. We were flying around this place. I'm, like, cutting around my, my you know, boys. I finally pass Heather. I make it around this corner. I'm drifting around the corner, and I, I misjudge it. I stalled. Right as I drift, I came to a stop and said, keep going. She T-boned me so hard. I mean, like, bam! I was like, oh, my goodness. I think, think that just straightened me out. And so, you know, we just raced the whole thing. And, and your adrenaline just shoots. Your, your whole body is used to driving those go-karts, you're just, that's what you get wired to do. We get dumb, we're checking our scores, you know, we turn our stuff back in, we go outside. I get in my car, I start to drive my car, and I realize I, I'm not a safe driver. Like, I, like, I'm still, like, buzzed from adrenaline from this experience, and I am, I am not, I, like, started to merge onto I-80, and I was like, wow, I, you know, like, I'm veering too sharp, and I'm like, I, I would probably need to pull over and eat or something because I'm probably not a safe driver to drive the car I drive every day that I'm used to driving because I'm just all amped up. And life does that to you and me. A lot of us are walking through life, and we are amped up on stress. And it takes control of our bodies. You're not a safe 
person walking through life in a lot of ways because you're just living at a pace of chronic stress. When you're under chronic stress, your body, it just never shuts down. You're always on call. You're always ready to go. You're living under chronic stress. And we're going to deal with that today because hundreds and hundreds of scientific and medical studies have shown that chronic stress in your life is dangerous and devastating to your physical health, to your mental health. It's damaging to your brain in a lot of ways. It's deadly to your body. Stress and chronic stress can kill you. And our culture thrives on it. We operate on it. We drink Red Bull and other things just to keep up with a constant level of stress. And it's taking a toll on us. And there's different areas that are pretty regular areas. I'm going to just tell you seven. These are not uh, fill in the blanks on your outline yet. These are just seven common areas where you and I experience stress. First one would be worry. You just get worried all the time. Life makes you worried, and you're just, you're just constantly in a state of worry, and that escalates chronic stress in your life. For others of us, it's hurry. You rush everywhere, you drive fast, then you're in traffic, and you're in crowds, and you, and you just, there's this constant hurry in your life. Other times it is just simply crowds, traffic, stress, people, you know, God created people, and originally they were living in rural things, and the more that we've gone through the industrial age, we've become more now involved in cities, and the more dense the city, the, the pace of life and the constant life stress goes up. That's why some of you, when you're young, you go to the city and you feel really energized. Wow, this is great. I'd love to live in the city. That's why a lot of us, when we're older, we move out of the city because we just realize the constant drain. There's a, you know, some of us, stress comes from too many choices. I don't, I don't know what job to take. I, there's just too many choices out there. I don't know what to do. I just, there, there's a hundred choices. And instead of it being A or B, it's like the whole alphabet. And you feel that way in all the time in every area, not just one area of your life, but in every area, the choices are escalating, they're expanding. And you feel under stress. Some of us, it's loss of privacy. From the time that you were born and you're, you bought, or you had kids and you bought diapers for those kids, every purchase that you and I make, it tracks and we get advertisement toward us. So from the time that you buy diapers for your kids till the time that you have to buy Depends for yourself, your whole life... Your body and all your purchases, there's this loss of privacy, and, and our young culture just threw that away. They, there's a loss of shame. There's a loss of pride. They just don't care. But some of our older generations, mine included, we're just, we, we're just under this loss of privacy all the time. Everything is tracked. Everything is stressed. There's, there's almost no time to let down. Pluralism at times in our world leads to conflict. You know, they say that our world, uh, technology has shrunk the world. We're kind of like a melting pot. But the truth is, it's more like a stew, that there's these different components and we're all put in the same like soup and we're supposed to work together and we're supposed to be flavorful together. But what happens is when you have this diverse pluralism, at times there's conflict because of that. And the news thrives on conflict all the time, doesn't it? It means that there's going to be conflict. Our media feeds on that. And it's created this culture of incivility where we are just mean to one another. People are just trolls online hiding behind the anonymity of the internet. And we're just not even civil toward one another. I worked with junior high girls one time, well, well junior hires, but there was a group of girls who were really rebellious. And, and at one point, this, you know, this girl's like, well, I'm not a Christian. Are you forcing me to be a Christian? I was like, no, I'm... We're just asking you to be a civil human being. Like, just be decent, right? 
Because, you know, junior high girls can be among the most indecent, you know, mean-spirited. I'd rather, you know, I, I refed junior high girls basketball one time. And I'm telling you, there are a few things meaner on the planet than junior high girls basketball. They got, you know, nail scratches and their parents are going to kill you. And it's a lot of stress, a lot of chronic stress in junior high girls basketball. One of the other areas that's pretty chronic for us is just fear about the future. The what ifs, what if in life, you know, well, what if this happens? What if that happens? And what if we have an earthquake here like they just had yesterday in Nepal? And, and, and what about, you know, churches we have over there and missionaries we have over there? And, and our hearts go out to them. And yet we understand that those things are going to happen. And there's a very real God who brings triumph out of immense tragedy. And Jesus said there's signs of the times. Wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, other things like that. And then we begin to wonder, well, what, if, what, what, if, what if the end times is now? What if it's tomorrow? You might be the kind of what if person. What about fears of the future? Proverbs 14 verse 30 says this, A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. You catch that picture of contentedness? A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. And then it says this in the Living Bible translation of that same verse, a relaxed attitude lengthens a man's life. Jealousy rots it away. Think about that for a minute. A relaxed attitude. Wouldn't it be nice just to go through life with a relaxed attitude? So often we get so intense and we get so wound up and bound up with chronic stress that we're like, what's going to help me settle down and get relaxed? And we want to ask this question. How do you and I go from being stressed to being blessed? Sometimes we would ask our kids that question as they were growing up. Guys, are you being a blessing or are you stressing right now? We're stressing. Yes, you are. So we want you to work toward being a blessing. But we look at our lives and we go, how do you want to go from being a stressed life to a blessed life? How do you do that? And so today, we're going to look at one of the greatest passages in Scripture, in Psalm 23. It's a beautiful passage. Most of you have seen this or heard of it, even if you've kind of not been churched at all because you saw it on a plaque or in somebody's home or somebody said it at a funeral. And we want to look at this Scripture and say, what can Psalm 23 teach us about how to deal with the stresses of life? If you're taking notes today, the first thing we're going to realize as we look at this Psalm together is that... I look to God to meet all my needs. I look to God to meet all my needs. Why is this important? Because in life, we're looking at everything else. We're looking at other things that bring us security to meet our needs. And sometimes God in your life or mine can become like an afterthought. And yet, the psalmist tells us this right from the beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, or the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. What's he saying? He's saying that God gives you all you need. And you and I need to stop looking to people to provide security for us. We start looking to everything else. You might look to your marriage, and maybe that's going to provide security. You look to your job, and you think that's going to provide security. You look to money or other things, and, and we keep looking outside anything other than God to provide security. But i got to be honest with you. The things we look to find security in we could lose. If you have a job, then you could potentially have a job loss, right? If you have a marriage, you could have a death of a spouse or you could have divorce. If you have money, well, 
there's lots of ways to lose money, right? Some of this rumor, like, it just, like, goes through your fingers. You're like, I can't even hold on to it. It just slips through my fingers. There's lots of ways to lose money. And, and as your pastor, as a friend, as someone who loves you, I want to just tell you that one of the ways to reduce stress in your life is do not put your security in anything that could be taken from you. Why do we come to a crisis of faith when we experience loss? Because maybe we put our faith in something that can get taken away. Instead of putting our faith in God, who is the one who says, I've got all you need, you will lack nothing. Maybe that's where you find yourself. I mean, let me just say it again. You put your security in something that can never be taken away from you. You can lose your job, you can lose your health, you can lose your mind, you can lose your reputation, you can lose your spouse. There's lots of things you can lose, but you cannot lose your relationship with Jesus Christ. You can't. But sometimes we compartmentalize that and we say, I'm going to stick that over here while I'm trying to deal with the chronic stresses of life. And God is saying, no, as the psalmist has found out, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Put your security in your relationship with Christ. You look to God to meet all your needs. What is he saying here? That worship is a stress reducer. The fact that you're here today, the fact that we begin to sing to God and we start taking our eyes off of our life and our problems and our world and we begin to focus them up on the Lord, it is a stress reducer. That's why at the first day of the week, Sunday being the first of the week, that we set aside time to really begin to focus on God because why? So much of the rest of our week is focused on us. And every day when you get up that you give God the first and you begin to put your eyes and focus on him and honor him when you and I obey we reduce stress in our lives because the disobedient life is not a peaceful life. Some of the stress we bring upon ourselves because we're disobedient to the Lord, because we follow our own way and our own lusts and our own you know, desire for whatever, greed, wealth, whatever it might be. We follow, I'm going to do what I want to do. And it escalates the stress in our life and we walk around with it. The life that's obedient, submitted, focused on God, it, it's a far more peaceful life. Why? Because even as we obey, we're worshiping God. It's not just a Sunday thing. It's an all-the-time thing. God, I'm giving you honor. I'm giving you praise. And as we do that, it reduces the stress. Because when you and I think it's all up to us, we start to get in big trouble. God has all you need. I stop focusing on other people and expecting other people and things to meet my needs. Romans 8.32 says this, Of God, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What's it saying? If God would give up his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, if he would give up the comforts of heaven, become flesh in Christ, come to earth, live a perfect life, and offer him up as a sacrifice for your sin and my sin on the cross. If God did that for you, his one and only son, will he not also, along with Christ, give us all good things? Does it mean you have a great life, a comfortable life? No. But it helps us begin to realize that life is trouble, but take heart because Christ has overcome the world. That when the world has gone crazy, we still have relationship with Christ. It cannot be taken away from us. Psalm 62.1 says this, Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from Him. 
It's my soul, that inner part, the real you on the inside, not the projected outside, but the real you on the inside. And you say, well, what's going to provide rest for my soul? Is it a long vacation? Is it just watching TV? Is it some recreation in my life? Is it some experience? Is it a relationship? What's going to find rest for my soul? When will I finally come to rest on the inside, on the inner man, the inner woman? When will I come to rest? And the scriptures tell us right away, my soul finds rest in God. And so often we're looking to other places, don't we? A number of years ago, it was about three years ago, really stressful time in my life, a stressful time here at church. Just We were getting into this building. We were buying the building. We were renovating the building. We were selling land. We were, had all these meetings. There was conflict in the church. There was opposition outside the church to some of the changes we were making here. And it was just an incredibly stressful time. And our offices were down the street a ways. And I remember being just under stress, just chronic stress for over a long season in my life. And I was just feeling the weight of life. And I, I remember like I'm in the office. I'm like, I got to get out of here. I, my soul is not at rest and I'm just, I'm anxious. You know, you almost feel like you're going to have a panic attack and I'm like, I'm going to grab my journal, my Bible and I'm going to go out and I'm just going to begin to journal through Psalm 23. So I go over to Miwok Park. I didn't go over and watch a movie. That wouldn't have reduced my stress. It might have delayed it, but if it didn't, wouldn't reduce it. But I went to the park and I sat down with just my journal and the Bible and I opened it up and, and I, I wrote this. Uh, at that time, I just said this. Oh, Jesus, restore my soul that inner part that operates like a sheep, forgetful, wandering, afraid, led astray, selfish, but all the while captivated and crying out to you, hungry and thirsty for deep intimacy with you. Restore my soul, capture it again, rest it, restore it to fullness. I don't know about you, but maybe you've been feeling that way. The psalmist said it this way in Psalm 42, 11, it says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for yet I will praise him, my Savior and my God. That's worship. That all my eyes are on my own life, my own experiences, my own chronic stress. And all of a sudden, you and I do what? To rest our souls, we put our hope in God. We begin to look up at him. We begin to worship him and not just expect other people and other things to meet all our needs, and we coach ourselves. Listen to it. This is what the psalmist is doing. He's coaching himself, self-coaching. saying, why, my soul, are you downcast? Some of us identify, my soul's downcast. But you can't answer why. What does he do? He might not even be able to answer why in the moment, but he says this. He coaches his soul. Soul, you, you put your hope in God. For I will yet praise him. There's light at the end of the tunnel. My Savior and my God. See, I look to God to meet all my needs because I lack nothing. It reduces stress. Secondly, if you're taking notes today, I need to obey God's instructions about rest. And the key operating word of that sentence is obey. I need to obey God's instructions about rest. Verse 2 of Psalm 23 says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. As I was journaling through this passage, I, I just said this. I, in my journal, I was like, he makes me. And I wrote, ha ha. Doesn't God make you sometimes lie down? But we're just not prone to lie down. We're prone to keep going. But I like how the psalmist writes. He said, he makes me 
lie down in green pastures. I said, so true. I often run ragged, seeking my own way that you have to make me lie down and rest in what's good for me and needed in the heat of the day. Other pastures call. Media, approval, indulgence, eating, performance, travel, shopping, and instant gratification. Let me ask you. He makes you lie down in green pastures. What are your other pastures that call to you? When you're under stress, what false pastures call to you? They say, come to me, you'll find rest. It doesn't rest your soul. You might want to write those down and you identify what are the other pastures that call to you in the time when you were just going through growing pains and learning in life and under stress. Think about this. I mean, God's unique. He's our creator. And God could have created people any way that he wanted to create people. But he created us with the need to rest. In fact, he created us with the need for sleep. If God gives you 60, 80, 100 years, it's so weird to think that a third of our life will be wasted in sleep. God could have created people any way he wanted to. You know, God modeled resting on the sixth day. He worked for six days in creation, and on the seventh day he rested. God wasn't tired. God doesn't need rest. But he modeled rest for us, and the way he designed to create you and me is that we need to have in our life a rhythm of rest. There's a part, even on a 24-hour basis, that you and I need sleep. You know that this is true because you understand when you've gone without sleep why sleep deprivation is such a powerful tool used, you know, against terrorists and other people. Because we are wired for sleep. And God could have done anything. He could have created us any way. But he created us to need rest. He knows what we need over the span of our lifetime. He knows what we need on a regular basis, on a daily basis with sleep. In the same way, he instructs us that you're to work for six days and every seventh day you're to rest and restore and recreate. Not because he's worried about our body wearing out. He tells us right up front, this body is mortal. But he knows the toll it takes on our soul. And some of us are the walking dead. We haven't been obeying God's instructions on rest. Are we walking? Yes. But we're not living. And God encourages us to rest. I mean, isn't that so interesting? In fact, he makes it one of the Ten Commandments. If I asked you to please name the Ten Commandments, you might get two or three. Maybe some of you could do all ten. But you got to realize that one of them is rest. I mean, right up there with do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not lie. Uh, right up there is keep the Sabbath. To him, it's one of the most important things. What's he saying? Every seventh day, you take a day off. Hello? We need it. That's how important the Sabbath is in your life. In terms of Exodus uh, 34, 21 says this, Six days you shall labor, but on the seventh day you shall rest. Even during the plowing season and the harvest, you must rest. What's he saying? Even during tax season, you must rest. Even during soccer season, you must rest. Even during the sports of your kids and when you're raising your kids, you must rest. Even at the busiest time of work or the most intense times in your year, you and I must rest. Write this down. It's not on your notes anywhere. You may want to write this down. My best requires rest. You want to give your best to your work? 
You want to give your best to your spouse, to your kids. You want to give your best in terms of just your career in any area like that. Your best requires rest. See, you're not wasting time when you're resting. How many of you at times like me feel like you're wasting times when you're resting, right? You're not. You and I, we're not. We're not. Some of us feel guilty when we relax. We're not wasting time. And, and we do basically three things, and these aren't on your notes, but you might want to write them down. When you and I rest, what does it look like? When we take a Sabbath, what does that look like? First of all, we rest our body. You physically slow down. You physically rest. That's the biblical basis for a good Sunday nap. Just not while I'm preaching. <laughs> we have to slow down. Sometimes one of the most godly things you can do is take a nap. It's to rest. Second thing we do is we refocus your spirit. Well, what's that? That's worship. My spirit is focused on the world and its problems and everything else. And I refocus my spirit on the one true living God. I begin to worship him. That's what you're doing right now. It's what you're doing sitting here in church. You're refocusing your life because life's been life all week long. But right now you're refocusing on the Lord and him. You're refocusing your spirit by coming to worship. And in corporate worship, we refresh ourselves. Third thing we do is we got to recharge our emotions. So recharge your emotions. Use the Sabbath to recharge your emotions. That's what recreation and play does. You know, some people write down Sunday fun day. They might be having recreation and play, but they're not recharging their soul because they're not acknowledging their creator. But when you have a Sabbath, you rest, you recharge your emotions, you refresh your spirit and refocus it on the Lord. A guy once said to his pastor, he said this, Pastor, I tried to get a hold of you all day long. The pastor said, I'm sorry, that's my day off. It, it's my Sabbath. And the man said, well, the devil never takes a day off. And the pastor said, yep. And if I did it like him, I'd be just like the devil. That's the problem for some of you. You're running around like a little devil because you don't slow down. You're not being, obeying God's instructions regarding rest. Some of you are being driven by your kids. Some of you are modeling for your kids and actually demanding of your kids. And they're turning into little devils because they're not experiencing the pace that God would want. We want their best. But their best requires rest. And the same is true of you. And the same is true of me. I decided as I was doing study this week that I'm going to stop calling my day off my day off. My day off, by the way, is Friday, but I'm not going to call it my day off anymore. It's Sabbath. Because I find when I call it my day off, it's too easy to be a little on. A little on call. A little on communication. A little on the internet or on, it's got to be a Sabbath. And if I call it my Sabbath, it trains me to restore, to refresh my soul. So what do you do? I obey God's instructions regarding rest. And next, I recharge my soul with beauty. Recharge your soul with beauty. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. See, in nature, you feel closer to God because he created it. Now, i got to let you know, God created a garden. When he first created humans, he put them in a garden. He didn't put them in a skyscraper. He created us to walk with him in the cool of the day in the garden, to be in perfect relationship with God. Sin hadn't entered the world. 
But that's the place that he created us. Why? When you, you know, it was Earth Day this last week. And, and when you worship the earth, not the creator of the earth, you feel something. You feel something closer. You feel some energy. But your soul is not at rest. It's still empty because you've not acknowledged who the creator of the creation is. When you and I interact with the earth and nature and you're at the beach or in the mountains or you're just in a, a quiet moment at, during the day when you just see a rose and you take the time to smell the roses and you look at that, it's those times that you acknowledge who the creator is and you let beauty begin to speak into your life and refresh you. Philippians 4.8 says this, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Could you imagine if just for a minute, while you hold that verse up there, could you imagine if just for a minute, the news just said all our stories, this is going to be the guideline for all of our stories. And imagine how fun it would be to watch the news if they just talked about what was true. That would just be fun right there, wouldn't it? Man, whatever's noble, whatever's right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. Man, you'd watch the news and you'd be like, life's cool. Life is good. Why? Because we would react to it. But what does news do? It thrives on the negative. It thrives on conflict. And I got to tell you, get outside every day. Even if you're at work, if you can just step outside, and sometimes if you just are, are overwhelmed with stress and you just look up, you remember that you're not alone, that God is there, that the world and life and everything is bigger than you. But our culture puts us on our screens. Our culture puts us indoors. Our culture puts us indoors with lights where we're not outside seeing the stars at night so much anymore. Get outside every day. Let beauty refresh you. Start your day with God, not the news, please. Not media, not text, not Facebook where you're comparing your life to everybody else's life. But give God the first of your day. Put beauty around you, art or creativity or garden, nature. And when you know the creator, it inspires your worship throughout your day. You become a walking worship service. Number four, go to God for guidance. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the right paths for his name's sake. Psalm 23, 3. Indecision causes stress, doesn't it? So we go to God for guidance. We ask. We pray and then ask and then listen. Some of you just tell God. But we pray and we ask God and then we slow down, we listen. So you say, God, I need wisdom. So what do I do? I pray, I ask, then I read the Bible. I, I read this book. I, I go to Psalm 23. I, I go to parts of the book and I, I wait and I think. And then I make myself be quiet and I listen and I sense. I mean, at the right time, and it may not be immediately right that moment, but at the right time, God will put the right idea in your mind. And you go, wow, that's inspiration. I've asked God for wisdom. He gave me wisdom. I, I slowed myself down. I rested in him. I began to acknowledge him and ask him and go to him for direction. And that's guidance. That's what I need to do. And so God's not an afterthought saying, this is what I've decided to do. Please bless it. He's the forethought to say, God, I need wisdom. I, I have multiple options. I don't know where to go. And he guides us for his namesake. Not for our glory, but... He's guiding us. Why? He's leading us in a direction. Number five, trust God 
in the dark valleys. Psalm 23, verse 4, one of the most well-known verses in all of Scripture says this, Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. That day I went over to Miwok Park. I just wrote this in my journal. I said this as I got to this passage. I just said, right now, God, right now is that dark valley. I will fear no evil, faith, not fear. You've been teaching me about this so much recently, faith, not fear. Today, now, I choose faith. May your rod, which is, you know, protective thing a shepherd would have, may your rod and your staff discipline and correct and drive away the wolves. Strike them, Lord, and lead them to repentance. You comfort me, and I'm reassured with your help and your presence. Here's what I learned. Faith is a choice that we intentionally make in the fears of the valley. So faith is a choice you and I intentionally make, not when everything's good, not when things are but in the fears of the valley. You're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. It's the dark season of your life. You feel oppressed. You feel burdened. You're overwhelmed. And in that moment, you choose faith. You say it out loud. You say, I choose faith. I choose to trust in you, God. You must declare it. Just holding it up in here, I don't think does any good. You declare it out loud in the midst of your fears. You say, I choose faith. I choose right now in this worst experience, the worst moment, the valley, to trust you, God. You trust him in the dark valleys. And then you let God be your defender. This verse is a beautiful verse. He says this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. It's this picture, you may not understand it, but in that day and age, the banquet table was the the place that you threw a party for somebody, that you gave them huge honor. And God is giving you huge honor. He's throwing a party for you, a promotion for you. He's doing this right in front of all your enemies. He's going, you're the critics. You're the ones who are antagonizing. But right now, God comes to your defense. And he anoints your head with oil. He, that's what they would do with a king. It talks about position. He's saying, you are my son or my daughter whom I love. And in the middle of all your enemies right now, I am exalting you. I am defending you. And then what happens by nature? Our cup overflows. In other words, everything we need is provided for. In fact, it's more than what is needed in the moment. God provides rest to our souls. David in Psalm 18 says this, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Notice it doesn't say this. God helps me defend myself with really good arguments. See, that's what happens after you get in conflict, right? You got a bunch of critics out there. You're in conflict with somebody. And then when you leave that, you're like, oh, I wish I should have said this because that would have just trumped the argument right there, right? No, God doesn't give you really good arguments. God says, let me defend you. Stop defending yourself. And for some of you, you're defending yourself so strongly because you're defending yourself to the very people that you're depending on to provide security for you. They can't. Put your security in what can never be taken from you. Let God defend you. 
Psalm 37 says, when we put our delight in the desires of the Lord, he gives us the desires of our heart. Then it says in verse 6, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. What happens when you and I choose to, to let God defend us? When we come before the Lord, he makes the rightness of our cause shine like the noonday sun, like it's obvious. It's not like kind of dim. It is just bright to everybody for all to see that God vindicates you. That he comes along when you take the high road, when you walk with integrity, when you outlast your accusers because your hope is in God through the valley, he defends you. And then number seven, expect God to finish what he starts in me. I expect God to finish what he starts in me. Are you a person who's afraid of the future? Are you a what-ifer? Are you what-ifing all the time to say, what, what if this happens? Or what if that happens? Or what if you know, something goes wrong? And what about what if this? And, and you're just worried, like, what are we going to do next? And what, how's this all going to work? And you're just, what if, what if, what if? Well, if you're a what-ifer, it leads to an enormous amount of stress in your life. Tons. Psalm 23, verse 6 says this, Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What's it saying? God's going to finish what he started in you. See, see, you're not blessed if you're what-ifing all the time. You're stressed. And you expect it to be all up to you. You're putting the weight of all of that on your own shoulders. You're isolated, and it's showing up in your physical health. Expect God to finish what he started in you. In my journal, I wrote this. I was just like, God, your, your goodness and your great mercy have followed me all the days so far. And I put in parentheses, undeserved and unearned, but true nonetheless. God, you've been so good. Thank you. I will dwell with you forever. It simply blows my mind that you are so good to me. Did it mean that that same day the valley cleared up, that there wasn't more work to be done, that there was all the conflict? No, all that stuff stayed the same. But what happened? My soul found rest in God. And he walks us through the valley, the shadow of death, and he's going to finish what he starts in you. And with me, Jesus said it this way. He said in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus is speaking to a culture that understands agriculture. They know what a yoke is. A yoke is that heavy wooden bar that they put over the top of a couple animals, cows or oxen or whatever. And what they would do is they would take it and they would bind up the, the older oxen and then they would take a young oxen and put it with the older, more experienced one. And the older one would walk along and it would carry most of the weight and it would train the younger one. This is the direction we're going because you're yoked in with me. You are, you are attached to this wooden bar that neither of us can get out of. But you're walking with me and I'm going to carry the bulk of the weight and you're going to learn how, what pace to go at and which direction to go. You're going to learn like when to rest. Like sometimes the oxen's going to be like, Stop. And the young one's like, let's go, let's go. No. Stop. We rest. We listen to the master. And it's going to carry the bulk of the weight. i got to be honest with you. Most of you have put a yoke on your back, and you're trying to carry it on your own. You're being like, God, here's my yoke. Here's my stress. And I'm just going to get through this on my own. And, and you're not yoking to Christ. 
See, he's the older one. He's the more mature one. He's stronger. He's going to say, listen, I'm going to teach you to obey rest. I'm going to teach you which direction to go. And, and I'm going to carry the weight for you if you will yoke yourself to me. See, God doesn't come up to you and grab your head and strap you in. He says, come, take my yoke. I'm already yoked in. Take my yoke upon you. You put yourself in there. I'll carry the weight. If you're taking notes today, when I'm yoked with Christ, we move together in the same direction and at the same speed. And God rests. And he's saying, I've modeled it for you. I rest. And I want you to yoke in with me because I carry the weight. I'm the strong one but I'll train you and you'll strengthen over time. But you gotta yoke in with me. You gotta come and offer yourself to me. You've gotta give yourself to me. You gotta let my strength carry and guide and lead and direct you. You need me. Do you wanna take the weight off? Then obey the Sabbath. Do you wanna go from being stressed to being blessed? Let God care for you. He did that first at the cross. Do you not see what a huge picture that is? That God put this wooden bar across his back and he yoked himself to the cross. And he said, I will take upon myself all your sin and I will carry the weight, the wrath of a righteous God against your sin. I'm going to bear it myself. But he says, you've got to come. You've got to put your faith and trust in what I did on the cross. I don't take the cross and bash you over the head with it. I say, you must surrender to what I did on the cross. And he was dead and buried and he rose to new life. And he is God who now says, come to me, you who are weary, and I will give you rest. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if today you are a believer already in Jesus Christ, today this is the moment for you to just be honest with God. God, I'm just being honest with you. I need to turn to you. I need direction. I need rest. I've been carrying it all on my own. I've been making you an afterthought. But this believers for you, this is your moment of decision. This is as important for you as if you were putting your hand in the air saying you said yes to Jesus the first time. This is your moment of decision right now. So you talk to him. There's others of you in this room who realize you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never acknowledged that his death on the cross pays for your sin, that you could give all your sin to Jesus and he cancels it out, and that he gives you all his righteousness and you are accepted by your creator God and placed in his forever family. Some of you have been carrying the weight of your sin, and some of you had your pride. You refuse or you have refused to give yourself to Jesus. And maybe today that feeling you're feeling on the inside is God's Holy Spirit just saying, come to me, come to me. I'm drawing you. And if you want to respond to that prompting that you're feeling right now, then you pray a prayer to Jesus like this. Just pray it right where you are seated after me. Jesus, today I'm saying yes to you. I ask you to come into my life. Make me a new creation. I believe that you died on the cross for my sin, that you were dead and buried in the grave and that you rose to new life. Jesus, I ask you to clean me up. Teach me to follow you because today I'm saying yes to you. If you just prayed that prayer, will you just raise your hand up anywhere around the room? Just raise your hand straight up. We'd love to 
give you some information about that decision you're making. Just hold it long enough. I got some friends who are wandering around. Everybody's heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I have a couple of friends of mine. They just want to give you information about the decision you make. Awesome decision right there. Yes, right next to you, right there. That's awesome. So great. Anywhere else around the room, just hold your hand up long enough that they can see you. They just want to give you some information, helps you understand how to walk with Jesus. Oh, that's so good. Greatest decision you two could ever make. Some Grove Church, will you give it up as we continue to celebrate? God is doing a month. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.